Welcome to Attenuation, a weekly podcast where two friends come together to drink beer, discuss beer styles and trends, and just generally ruminate on the meaning of life, aka beer. If you enjoy your time with us, we invite you to become a weekly listener and subscribe to the podcast. Without further ado, here is this week's episode. Hello, and welcome to episode 63 of Attenuation, a beer podcast. My name is Jason, and I'm joined by my best friend since 8th grade, Stephen. Hello. How are you doing today, sir? Fantastic. <laughs> Good. <laughs> are you ready to drink beer and talk about drinking beer? I'm always ready to drink beer, and I've got a big one today, too. So. Oh, I don't know what it is. We didn't in talk the, about it. In the mood. In the mood for a big beer. <laughs> nice. <laughs> okay, so we have a fun topic today. We're going to talk about beer gimmicks. Yeah, what the breweries are trying to use these days to sell their beer. They're using lots of tricks. Competition's getting stiff, so. Yeah, it's super (laughs) stiff. Okay, well, before we get into our topic, we have to do our favorite part of the podcast, and that's our drinking beer segment. So the way it works is we both introduce our beers and do nose notes, and then we cheers taste and give tasting notes. Can I just say how good it is to see your face this week? Because my internet works. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, we've been having some like connection issues the last few weeks, and the best way to avoid it was for Jason to turn his video off. So it's just been very sad. It also helps our coordination, our of, flow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> when you can see the other person, I'm like, I didn't know he was about to say something. So I said something. <laughs> All right. So today I have a beer from Raz Brewing. So when I grabbed all those Ooh. sours, I also grabbed a couple other beers they were making. It's a I was double- gonna say, are you drink- It's not a sour. No, I grabbed some. I specifically grabbed some non-sours because I wanted to try some of the other things they were making over there. Mm. Yeah. So this is Ninth Dimension. So this is a double IPA. I don't know much about it. It's 8% alcohol by volume. Oh, it does say it uses Pacific Gem, Galaxy, and Vic Secret Hops. Okay. Yeah. So it had a cool name and a cool label. (laughs) Speaking of gimmicks. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Very tough. That, that's how I buy wine. <laughs> like, oh, that's a pretty label. Sure, that's good. Ooh. Beautiful. Yeah, it looks really nice color and extremely. I poured it a little too fast. I have a massive head going. Yeah, that's a thick head. And it smells really good. Just tons of tropical notes, but like, once the, I'm not really used to smelling so getting like apricot and tangerine and guava hmm. yeah Woo. just a really 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 tropical fruit flavors okay i'm really excited if the taste follows the nose i'm pretty pumped about this one <laughs> all right what are you drinking today steven okay so i'm in a very getting ready for new york mode because it's just a few weeks i'm making a trip with my family to new york to new york city and I'm super excited because while we're there, I think my family is going to allow me to visit a few breweries if they uh, if they're nice enough. <laughs> I'm sure they they'll tolerate roll. some. Yeah. Yeah, I would hope. <laughs> I mean, they uh, they rolled their eyes a little bit at me, but and they they've tried to put limits on how many we can we can go to through the week, but. I'm very excited. Probably going to go to Other Half. Uh, Evil Twin is the other one. That's what I'm drinking tonight. So I drank Other Half beer. Posted that on Instagram yesterday. 
And then tonight I am drinking an Evil Twin Stout. So hope you're proud of me. I'm excited. This is, yeah. <laughs> this is a cookies and cream flavored Imperial Stout brewed with Oreo cookies. And it's yeah. called Cookies and Cream and Chocolate and Cookies. Okay. <laughs> Because remember, Evil Twin has some weird names and then some long names. They're the ones that have the whole like stories. Yeah, it's like a whole novel on the side of the can. Yeah. 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 So this one's cookies and cream and chocolate and cookies. There's cookies in there twice. Yeah, there's a lot of cookies in here. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm hoping it's sweet. Okay, so very dark and with a very darkly brown like dark brown tinted head smells very chocolatey only just a slight hint of like it's not even it's like i don't know that much about coffee but it's not like a i don't know maybe like an espresso kind of okay yeah I always like, forget, like a, a choc- like drinker. a chocolatey coffee or mocha is that mocha. mocha mocha okay yeah you're probably gonna be like dude this guy's an idiot <laughs> <laughs> but i really don't drink coffee but yeah it's like a like a chocolatey coffee coffee's not very strong and then like a hint of vanilla sweetness to it and almost like a little bit of a dark fruit note as Mm. well but that might just be like that sweetness coming off again but i'm excited for this one yeah it sounds like a good one cheers cheers okay i liked like two-thirds of this beer (laughs) (laughs) so yeah i think it's thumb sideways but the entrance is like guava orange tangerine really good entrance kind of matches the nose a lot of right like nice tropical flavor and then there's like a vegetal almost medicinal hop note that comes in and it's not really bitter but it has that nice like hop flavor but then the aftertaste is a little bit like there's like a bubblegum almost aftertaste okay and it's disruptive like it feels like out of place it's kind of a mis- <laughs> a mismatch to the rest of the flavors so like i really like the entrance and the development but then the aftertaste is a little eh, i don't know and then the it has nice carbonation it has a medium body it's almost creamy because it's like so carbonated um so really close to a thumbs up i would say but i don't I don't think I would drink this one again just because I'm not a huge fan of that aftertaste. Gotcha. Okay. I'll definitely finish it, though, but I don't know if I would get it again. Yeah. They always finish it. (laughs) I guess not always, but... (laughs) Yeah, like, I'm I'm enjoying it. I just, I just, like, there's something about that aftertaste that kind of throws it, and that's unfortunate because it's, like, you know, the last thing you taste. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the the bubblegum is definitely, like, a, a yeast ester you know characteristic of uh yeast esters and it does like it is kind of used as part of the flavor profile sometimes and maybe i don't know whether it was purposeful here or not but yeah it can it can be disturbing sometimes so yeah that's how i would say it's not it's not necessarily an off flavor because Mm -hmm. it's like a you know you want like fruity yeast esters in those uh like juicy ipas but i don't know didn't strike a good balance here with that bubblegum flavor that's what i think i think it's just like a little bit too strong i think if it was a little bit more subdued then the overall balance would be perfect gotcha all right so thumb sideways you said yeah <laughs> you don't like giving thumbs down <laughs> i'm too nice you're like well it's beer <laughs> <laughs> i mean it's it's better it's way better than like budweiser or like you know so oh, it's, yeah that's it's, true it's but. good i just 
I would pick a different IPA over it, given the choice. Gotcha. Okay. All right. Well, my beer is very good. Oh, good. I don't know if I mentioned, but it's a 12% ABV, so definitely warming. Uh, It has a (laughs) very very thick mouthfeel. This, like, rich, syrupy milk chocolate. Like, it is very, very syrupy. And it's like an Oreo with, like, you know, like, regular Oreos have the, like, white filling this is almost more like the have you ever had the chocolate chocolate oreos like the double chocolate yes i have like the chocolate and frosting in the middle yeah that's what this is like it's like very very chocolate it's like chocolate on chocolate but like and then those are covered in fudge <laughs> so much chocolate okay and then it kind of like transitions to a nice like chocolatey vanilla icing finish but yeah it is very sweet it's very fun. But yeah, a lot of chocolate. And this sounds I would love this. Yeah. Just a hint of that sort of roasted malt like coffee flavor that like enhances the chocolate. Okay. Like that's apparently a, using espresso powder is the key to a really good chocolate cake. Oh. Because it enhances the chocolate flavor. I learned that on uh, Kids Baking Championship. <laughs> nice. <laughs> um <laughs> knowledge comes from all places all sources yeah, yeah watching these like nine-year-old bake on that show is really impressive oh i'm i'm sure they're like mind-blowing because they can probably yeah. bake a thousand times better than i can oh yeah no i mean and you can just say like oh you need to make like a, a chocolate ganache or whatever and they like make that you know like they know they already how to make that it's very impressive some kids impress me Way, they're Most way kids more are st- stupid. But. Yeah, I was going to say, when I was nine, I couldn't do anything. <laughs> yeah, these, these kids are impressive. But anyway, yeah, I learned that uh, one of the kids was like, oh, yeah, the key to a perfect chocolate cake is a little espresso powder. So anyway, that is what's happening in my beer right now is there's just this, like, just the right hint of coffee to, like, even strengthen that chocolate flavor because this is all chocolate this is the most chocolatey beer i've ever tasted really making me want to try one of these yeah you would like this for sure i like my sweets i like my (laughs) dessert stouts (laughs) so this one's going to be going quickly (laughs) even though it's 12 percent even though it's 12 percent, i know at first i was like oh this is a good sipper and i'm like oh no this is really really good this is dessert in a can that's awesome yeah so thumbs up on this one very excited to get my hands on some evil twin beers i'm very jealous you know it's not too late to bring me instead of your family it's true (laughs) (laughs) you just happen to meet me there (laughs) oh there we go we do need to plan make concrete beer trip plans we do very soon all right cool so that was our drinking beer segment and next we do postscripts which are when we correct things from previous segments or sometimes we have things we want to return to and also beer news which is beer news and i think today we have a beer news from steven yes so this is kind of a fun beer news uh, Patrick Rue, who is the founder of the Brewery Brewery, <laughs> uh, one of our faves, he is, well, like I said, founder of the brewery, which is a very, very successful brewery that makes some amazing beers. He is also a master Cicerone, so one of the 
you know, we said like 18 to 20 master Cicerones that exist. He's very, he's one of the masters, the yeah. rare masters of the council. Yeah, the Jedi yeah. Council of Beer. Uh, <laughs> it's very that's, impressive. That's awesome. Yeah, they're so rare. That's incredible. Yeah. So he has purchased half of an interest in Moonlight Brewing Company, which is a small Santa Rosa, Sonoma Valley brewery. Um, they have two beers that they're like pretty famous for. Like these are their flagships. Uh, one it's called a Black Beer. Uh, it's called Death and Taxes, and then another one called Reality Check, which is a Czech style Pilsner beer. So. What's interesting is that he purchased this uh, this half interest in Moonlight. It's the half that was actually owned by Lagunitas. So the founder of Moonlight Brewing, Brian Hunt, he's always retained half his ownership. Uh, but the other half he sold to Lagunitas initially. And then now uh, that has been that half from Lagunitas has been sold to Patrick Rue from the brewery. So kind of interesting. He Patrick Rue founded the brewery in 2008 but he uh, he now owns erosion which is a winery and brewery in napa valley but the interesting about moonlight is like they're very small and they kind of stay small and they only have local distribution and they didn't have a whole lot of like innovation they were just kind of like banking on these couple flagship beers that they make uh, so Patrick Rue is going to bring a uh, couple different beer styles, new things to Moonlight. He's going to do a barrel aging program for them. Are they going to increase their production of? Are is like are we going to be able to see Moonlight beers? I don't. I don't know. We'll see. Because that Death and Taxes, I looked that up while you were talking about it. That's the uh-huh. num- number one ranked European dark lager on Beer Advocate. It looks really good. Oh yeah, yeah. So that's super interesting because they make, you know, it's like two to two loggers are their kind of their main flagships. So, yeah, that's really it's different. It's out there. But I, that'd be really cool if like that became a little bit more available. Maybe that won't happen, but I would love to try this one. Yeah, but definitely for them, it was a big uh, like reversal back to being like locally owned and kind of get away from that big Lagunitas Heineken ownership. So. So yes, maybe maybe you'll see that around. Yeah, I'm looking but. it up. It's actually in Santa Rosa, so maybe I should just go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just like uh, it's like Russian River, man. It's not that far from you. Yeah, I could just do it. Huh? Oh, that's very interesting. Very interesting mm-hmm. turn of events, and also Mo- interesting. Moonlight thing. is now half owned by a master cicerone. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. It's cool to track. <laughs> track the activities of the um, we're calling it the beer jedi council of one of the the master jedi of the beer universe that's awesome (laughs) that's gonna be brew news every week now we're just gonna like track the (laughs) we're gonna stalk them yeah the activities of all the masters and surrounds so there's your brew news not super exciting but it's kind of cool it's, yeah, it's a win. interesting. A little, you know, getting that local brewery back from the growing conglomerate. The clutches, the clutches of the evil empire. Yeah. See, we yeah. can do Star Wars. Uh, yeah. Anal- analogies across all the board. night long. <laughs> <laughs> they they return to the Rebel Alliance. All right, cool. So let us get into our main topic, which is a beer gimmicks. What do you want to talk about first? Well, part of this was inspired by an article we saw. 
that Stephen shared with me. And while the article is dated, it's from the full pint. It's funny because it's still relevant. <laughs> Most of it is still very relevant. Yeah, for being like an almost 10-year-old article. It is kind of interesting that a lot of the breweries are still using this. But yeah, I mean, like the, the, the craft beer competition is very stiff. And I will say probably about 10 years ago is when it really did start to get very crazy. And it's just over the last 10 years been insane, ex- completely exploded. And you just have to find ways to get market share and make your beer more appealing. So I guess, you know, one of the things they were mentioning in this article is that like these breweries would do this like these like fancy things, right? Like they would do these 750 mil bottles and they'd put a cork in them or put the little wire cage on the top of the cork. Or Yeah, I'm a sucker for this. I even call it beer. <laughs> if beer has a cork in it, I call it fancy beer. <laughs> if it has any other layer than just a bottle. <laughs> it's fancy beer. Yeah. Well, and I think it's interesting, too, because you had this huge transition to cans, right? So you've gotten away from bottles and now like a like a small return back to bottles of like, oh, yeah, we, well, we put the fancy beer in bottles. We move most of our stuff to cans, but the fancy stuff stays in the bottle. Yeah, and I think this one goes hand in hand with like, so I think of this cork and cage and wax, I think of as like two sides of the same coin. I think a lot of beer, uh, you know, they either put the cork in it with the cage or they dip the wax on it. And it does add, I understand the gimmick side of it because ultimately you're drinking the beer and if the <laughs> you, the, the beer is what you're experiencing. So if the yeah. beer is good, it doesn't really matter like what packaging it comes in. But I'm a little bit of a sucker for, and I don't think it's 100% out of place to appreciate the presentation like if i'm able to draw uh like from food culture which i'm not really a foodie but when like plating is you know uh, swinging back to you watching all those like cooking shows but like plating is a big part of food Mm -hmm. presentation like it needs to look visually appeasing when it's first presented to you and i kind of give them a little bit of a pass i do think make sure the beer is good before you plate it correctly but i i am a little bit of a sucker still for uh corks and wax dips and even if it doesn't really translate into a (laughs) a better beer (laughs) yeah well, I think that's where, like, you can be super disappointed, though, too. It's like, you know, you get this beer as a fancy wax or fancy cork, and you drink it, and you're like, oh, that's not that good. Like, why did they go through all that trouble? <laughs> lipstick on a, <laughs> yeah. a lipstick yeah. on a pig. Exactly. Yeah, and that's where I think it does kind of get into the gimmick. Like, if you're just doing it to try to make the beer seem better than it is, that's very gimmicky. Yeah. But if you're doing it on like special edition things or, you know, Fremont does the big wax jobs, but they only do them on like their biggest beers, right? Their limited releases. I mean, they do it on a lot of stuff, but but it's not their regular, you know. I will say opening a beer that has wax on it is a nightmare. (laughs) They should just stop putting wax on beers for that reason. (laughs) Well, like I said, uh, I've watched the videos where they dip them, and they dip it like three times, and I'm always like, oh my gosh, they're dipping it again? Like, yeah, could we just do one layer? Yeah, it's, one layer. Chill on the okay, wax. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, cut through that the big knife. So, 
I, I wouldn't say. I mean, I think Anchorage does that. Anchorage does the dipping on some of their special stouts. I haven't really seen it a lot other than that. The wax. I, yeah, the wax seems like it's definitely a stout thing. Yes, yeah, stout and a barley wine thing. Oh, yes, barley wine, too. For sure. So I think both of these things, yeah, they do straddle the the line between gimmicky and uh, I guess I'll call it like uh, plating or like where you're making the beer visually and appeasing and interesting. So yeah. I think it just comes down to it. But it's funny because these things are very subjective. Like, I think to the purist, the packaging can be annoying. I know there's an individual I watch for the scotch universe he's a uh, uh ralphie if anyone knows scotch and he gets very annoyed if <laughs> if the packaging isn't like very simple because he thinks it's sort of a waste and it's like adding costs to the whiskey that could otherwise make it better yeah. so he's like anytime there's like uh, uh extravagant packaging it always like irks him and he gets mad about it he's like you should just put it in proper packaging and put the information on the box and that's it so i know if if you're the equivalent of him in the beer universe, maybe that the caging and the waxing is all sort of annoying to you because it doesn't really it doesn't really add anything to the main event, which is drinking and enjoying the beer. It's kind of like more of the ritual and yeah, getting excited about it. So it's I think it's a uh, super subjective, but I kind of fall like right in the middle where I'm okay with it as long as the beer is good. Well, this article mentioned a beer that Sierra Nevada brewed, I guess it was some sort of reserve once once in a lifetime sort of um, release but they did a wax dip on this one and there was like a big outcry that like oh it just added cost and all the stuff like for no good reason uh, so yeah there is i think it, there a little bit of perception some perception in the beer world of like you're just doing things that really mark up the cost of the beer for no other reason than just to do them so yeah totally and we'll link we'll link the article in the show notes because i think it's still relevant even though it's over yeah it is really yeah it's it's funny how uh relevant it still is so yeah so fancy quirks well i mean i guess the almost more relevant thing now would be the can art that we just you know we talked about like like that's the big gimmick now i mean yeah you still see the fancy corks and wax stuff but in terms of competition and trying to make your beer stand out the can art is super important i think it is like because you're right and i don't this wasn't mentioned in the article because i think it's gotten hyper intense in like the last probably like five or six years where like yeah the can art is going over the top it's i kind of enjoy it because a lot of the can art is amazing but again it's like it falls into that category of like it doesn't really help the beer so if the beer is not good it doesn't matter how cool the can art is but like totally i had to pick so it does work to a certain extent right so i'm at moraz and then i want to i'm not now normally i'll whip out my phone and do research but sometimes in these smaller breweries there's just not a lot of data online about yeah, you know, no point in looking it up so i'm not gonna look it up i even this one isn't even on beer advocate but you know they have like four or five different ipas so at that point it's kind of like you said when you pick wine it's like well there's nothing really else to differentiate these these are all ipas i'll just pick <laughs> this one has cool can art and a cool name i'll just pick that one so i think it is like a tiebreaker. Like, I think if you have cool can art, you might be winning some tie breaks of people that are just grabbing something. And if that can art kind of makes them stop and be like, oh, that's kind of cool. Like, you just, it's kind of like you're competing for attention. Even those, like, split seconds of, you know, determinations that people make between, like, two things in the grocery store. So I think it is part of the 
the cold war of like <laughs> and it's kind of funny even with like and we never know if it we'll never know if it was intentional but you know with the stone lawsuit where they kind of uh they made the label <laughs> they made the key very small <laughs> yeah they made it look kind of like stone beer like maybe that was <laughs> intentional and they were trying to you just trick a couple people and you know it's that's a national uh distribution you're gonna have that couldn't you know be those add up right so yeah again i think this one is pretty new it's newer i know like the can art has been getting cooler and cooler but again it's just another thing it's like if the beer underlying beer is not good the can art does not does not help see which is funny because for me i'm in the camp of like a can art does not win me over okay really it doesn't all. work on you I mean, I like sometimes I see a cool canner and I'm like, oh, yeah, that's cool. But does it make me want to buy the beer anymore? I'm much more of a like give me information on the can. Like just mm. tell me what it is very clearly what kind of what type of beer it is, because sometimes it's like really hard to tell. And like you're searching for the ABV that's hard to see. And it's all it's like, why is so it so difficult? You're a fan of like the modern times schema because you've seen theirs like <laughs> I hate so yeah that's so funny. Well, total, I kind of hate modern times. <laughs> oh, but we're total opposites in this case. But modern times does a good job of like every at least I don't know maybe it's been a couple of years since I paid close attention, but a couple of years ago at least they every can had the same layout and it was just all information. So yeah. you could very quickly glean like okay this is this type of beer it has this flavors it has this ABV. So you that kind of appeals more to you like give me the technical details don't make me like search the can for them yeah yes. Yeah, I I say I, I I would say that I'm definitely more towards that camp. I think Modern Times sometimes gives me information I don't really care about, <laughs> like Final Gravity or something like that. Where you're like, oh, okay, <laughs> like IBUs is cool. Yeah, I will IBUs. Say. IBUs. You put IBUs cool. on the can of an of a because that was so useful to me when I was starting with hoppy beers. So. Okay. Maybe breweries don't care as much, or they don't think it, like anybody cares. But I loved seeing IBUs, and you know there is like there's a lot of debate on like how relevant IBUs is, or you know everybody's perceptions of hoppiness is different, or every uh, perception of hoppiness in different styles of beer is different. But I always thought it was like really really good. But and to you know we've talked about the IBU race where like. <laughs> You know, there was this like 100, 100 plus IBU beer was like the cool thing to have like the hoppiest, most bitter West Coast IPA. And so I know a lot of that is gone now. But still, I think that knowing what like a beer is like 40 IBUs, like, OK, like that's an approachable hoppiness and bitterness. That's like but all that's also pushing you a little bit. I what I hate is when they put IBUs on like a stout or something. And it's like 15. It's like, I don't care. You know, like, I'm yeah. not drinking this beer for the hops. Like, no, why? that's a good point. It's not relevant information. Put on yeah. the beers that I want to know the IBUs for. Yeah, and I think it is useful in that regard, especially if you're starting out. But even for me, like, if I see the IBUs, it kind of, if it's 80, then I don't care, like, your sensitivity to it or not. Like, you know what you're getting into yeah. if you're drinking an 80 IBU. <laughs> yeah. Sure. So that is something I'd like to see. Like ABV, then is also really important for me because I'm an old man now, and um, yeah, I gotta I, know. I gotta do that math. When I was like <laughs> 25, it didn't matter. But uh, <laughs> I have to like calculate how much pain this is gonna cause me the next day. So yeah, yeah let's just like 12% stout that is going down. Like it's almost like it's kind of hard to drink because it's such like chocolatey syrup 
but it's also very easy to drink because it's just like chocolate syrup. <laughs> Maybe that's why they listed. If that makes sense. That's why they listed cookie twice in the name. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what was it? Okay. Cookies and cream and chocolate and cookies. They're like, it's great. It goes down like chocolate syrup, but it's like drinking chocolate syrup. So, yeah, yeah that's funny. So another modern gimmick, mm-hmm. I think, is social media and Instagram. Because Agreed. unfortunately, we live in the era of influencer culture. And unfortunately. Yes. <laughs> and just the way things work is like people hyper fixate on what is viral and what is popular. And that doesn't always coincide with just because if you guys are very successful, like social media presence doesn't necessarily mean they're like making the best beer, but they get a lot of attention in that sphere. So that definitely lands in the gimmick category for me. Yes. Well, I mean, like, and you have very gimmicky beers. And I think that's a little bit of a like feedback loop where like the gimmicky beers tend to be the like Instagrammable beers. And the beers that, you know, like they're fruity and they're they look cool and they're pretty colors and all the stuff. And you can make really pretty Instagram stuff and then that just like feeds like, oh all that's popular. Like, okay, then we'll just make more of that style and make more of the you know, that beer and put that pick beer those beers more out onto our social media and then they're pop- that becomes popular. So I don't yeah. know. Yeah. I'm not a huge not a huge fan of it. <laughs> But again, maybe that's my uh, middle-agedness. Your hipster attitude. No, I mean, I think just social media in general. It's hard to figure out exactly what actually is popular and what's just popular on Instagram. Yeah, and I could imagine it's probably... It's another thing I think you just see, like, because the competition is so fierce. You have to try to, like, fight for every, uh, like, small advantage you can get. So if you can get a good social media presence going, then you're going to do it because you just want to beat out your rivals. And so can art, all this stuff starts to become... It has an amplified effect when competition is so tight, so... Yeah, and not just, like... I mean, the social media presence... I mean, there's you every once in a while you just see like a brewery that does it way better than anybody else, you know, like they just the pictures are better. The videos are better. Their stuff is funny. Their content tends to be a little bit ahead of the viral trends and not just trying to catch up with the viral trends, that kind of stuff. So, yeah, so some some just do better than others. But yeah, definitely social media is a it's unfortunately a tool that even we have to use. (laughs) But we're terrible at it. Yeah. Yeah, we're we're in the camp of like <laughs> making making Squid Game memes like two years after Squid Game. You <laughs> mean we're not like we're not, we're not bro, like cutting edge? Yeah, that ship has sailed. Has well, it really still, been, still funny? Has, I don't know. It's not really been two years. No, probably a full year though. I'll yeah, bet. you're probably right. Dang, that's crazy. Because that time time flies, Gosh. but in nine, nine months being nine months behind on the internet <laughs> yeah you might as well be a thousand years late on the internet <laughs> oh my goodness yeah so i think another one was mentioned was rye ipa so this is kind of funny because i do still see a lot of these this was sort of a kind of somewhat specific rant about a very specific style but the rant was that like look you can use rye it kind of tends to give the beer maybe a little bit of uh kind of earthiness a different kind of spiciness to it just using a different malt kind of like using oats or wheat or something in your grain bill 
just using rye to give it a different flavor. But using rye in the grain bill of an IPA isn't really that significant in that like you're the highlight of the IPA is the hops. So you're showcasing hops. Like is the rye base really changing the beer that much or giving the beer that much extra depth when you really should you should just be showcasing the hops so i thought that was kind of an interesting take on that yeah that's interesting and then i don't know what the real i don't know what the answer is that i don't even know if i've ever had a rye ipa but yeah i've had a few i i again uh, i mean i don't necessarily think it's that significant either i'm kind of i kind of agree with him but i also do think that you can i mean changing the grain bill it's not like the grain bill is completely irrelevant in an ipa I mean, I know you're showcasing the hops, but, you know, like I said, you can use oats to thicken the mouthfeel and different. Uh, obviously, West Coast IPAs have uh, an even more maltier backbone that plays a role in the, the whole balance of the beer. So uh, I think you could definitely showcase rye in the grain bill in an IPA without, you know, completely losing it. the reason for using the rye. I mean, I think you can bring out those flavors and balance those with the hops so yeah um, that makes sense maybe there's just not a lot of really good rye ipas but yeah and it, that's actually probably true <laughs> yeah and if you're yeah i mean if it's really adding something to the overall flavor of the beer then it's justified but yeah sometimes i think it's kind of like with the a lot of the modern beers we see where they're adding like um lucky charms and mm, candy and stuff like that it's just like is this just gimmicky to just be able to say oh yeah has this in it or is it really adding like something that makes the beer better overall so yeah well i was reading uh the other day just i was sort of interested in like i think i was probably drinking a beer that had candy in it (laughs) in the brew process you would be (laughs) yeah and i thought i was like i wonder like how like when do they add this like what is the process of adding this and it you know there's not a whole lot of variation basically either like put them in the fermentation tank at some point in different points Mm -hmm. during the fermentation or what you can do is you can take these candies whatever candy you're using melt them down to liquid form put them in the beer early in the process and you've done two things you've added flavor and you've added sugar okay and the sugar just ends up being part of the whole fermentation process so the yeast are going to consume some of those sugars and then leave some of the flavors so yeah i mean it's kind of interesting because i think like i mean i've had beers brewed with peach rings that did really have a lot of that peach ring flavor to it almost that candy peach flavor yeah i've had multiple beers (laughs) beers <laughs> brewed with candy like jolly yes. ranchers of the stuff. two of us you're definitely the candy <laughs> beer drinker um <laughs> uh, but i like i don't even know where i was going with that other than like that is very gimmicky but it's not i mean i guess to i think the point maybe you're trying to make is like it's not so a lot of times to raise the gravity they will add like syrup like basically they just add a bunch of sugar so i mean if you're like hey you're gonna try to boost the gravity and you want to introduce like a novel flavor profile then if you're melting the candy down and adding it almost as like a syrup that makes sense because you're gonna boost the gravity and you're gonna get some interesting flavors it's not like you're just mindlessly throwing them in at the end maybe it's not it's like a little bit more planned out than that yeah i guess i just got super defensive when you said something about fruity (laughs) fruity pebbles (laughs) yes that's so funny because like 
Whereas can art works on me, it does not <laughs> yeah, work on you. And whereas Pebbles always candy works and on beer you. works on you, it does not work on me. I'm like, that's so stupid. I don't want to drink this stupid candy beer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it like always works on me. <laughs> yeah, see, one one person's gimmick is another person's treasure. Yeah. I just was reading about a beer that is using Jolly Ranchers in it, and I was like, I gotta get that. See, that makes me shudder. <laughs> Now I'm like now I'm mad because I can't remember what it was, but oh man, yeah, we'll I want the I want the it. I want the Jolly Rancher beer. I do not want the Jolly Rancher beer. You get one and tell us how it is. It was like the whole point of the beer was to recreate the flavor of a blue raspberry Jolly Rancher. Oh my gosh, I have to figure this out. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, gonna be very upset. There's a blue raspberry Jolly Rancher Berliner Weiss from Escape Brewing Company. Oh gross! It's also blue. <laughs> <laughs> duh that looks revolting there's also one called jolly rancher jolly rancho kettle sour from um big river brewing this isn't even a novel idea steven like you googled it and there's so many yeah there's options. a bunch <laughs> well that's true i don't i mean at this point nothing is original no everything is a remix Everything is a remix. I thought for sure if I scrolled quickly through Instagram, you'd find I it. Would, I would find it. But alas, we can postscript it. Sorry, people. All right, we can get to the next part of the article, which makes me defensive. Okay, what's so that? So we'll go from Stephen being defensive to Jason being defensive. He calls into question barrel aging, and I love. I, I do think aging. he came to the conclusion that it's his favorite gimmick. I would say it's my favorite gimmick too. And I actually do agree with him. So what annoys me about barrel aging, I think it's definitely going to get people's attention. Like me, when you barrel age something, I'm always looking for barrel aged any beer. But I have noticed they've started to like do barrel aging in different types of barrels. Like they'll use tequila. I've seen they've used like scotch, whiskey. That to me is starting to get a little bit gimmicky. Because from my experience tasting those, like um, there's a really good example and I'm not going to be. Oh, the Abyss. The Abyss is, like, one of my favorite barrel-aged stouts. Okay. The Abyss was super guilty of this, like, this is probably, like, six or seven years ago. I don't know if they still do it, but they did, like, a tequila barrel, a whiskey barrel, a bourbon barrel. They basically did every type of barrel you can imagine, and they put the Abyss. And I tried, like, all of them, because this is where I, this is my weakness, right? I'm, like, trying all these. And what I came to the conclusion is, like, the regular Abyss is is the best one. Like, (laughs) all these, like, ones where they're using... So all of the rest of them felt like gimmicks. Like, I felt like I was getting tricked by purchasing them because they were really expensive. First of all, they were, like, more expensive than the regular Abyss because I think they did them in, like, smaller runs. And I was just like, oh, I just wish I had the regular Abyss. Like, so I definitely have been turned off by this, like, where they're branching out to other barrels. I think unless you're, like, really planning for that flavor profile to be part of your beer, I think it's a waste of time. Like, so, for example, if you were going to do, like, a Goza and you wanted to do, like, a barrel-aged Goza, which I don't super recommend. But if you did and you put it in a tequila barrel, that would actually make sense to me. Because I think Goza flavors naturally pair with tequila. So then you'd get some of those tequila elements in the barrel each goza and that would be good but when you're just throwing your regular stout into all these random different uh alcohol barrels it's that seems gimmicky to me because i don't the outcome wasn't didn't really justify the process to me so 
I think in general, like barrel aging without a clear purpose, it's just a terrible idea. Right. You know, like just barrel aging to barrel age. And I think sometimes too, like barrel aging for six months and just to be able to say that this beer is barrel aged, I think is also a little bit disingenuous and gimmicky. Like if you're going to barrel age a beer, like really barrel age it. And especially if you're going to pay, you're going to charge me more. Like I want to be pay more for the investment of time that you've barely. So what would you say is like a good amount of time? Like a minimum? I think a year. Yeah. At least. Yeah. Yeah, So like actually get. Unless you're like, I mean, you can like maybe blend a few, like a one, two and three or something like that. But yeah, that is cool when they do that. Like where they kind of age it into multiple different things. Yeah. Yeah. But like, I think uh, along your point, blending, I mean, uh, barrel aging beers with the purpose of with the specific purpose of saying like I want these flavors I want these flavors accentuated I want these flavors to meld or whatever instead of just being like I'm going to take this one stout and I'm just going to barrel age it in five different kinds of barrels <laughs> and release these iterations like um, okay with no clear end yeah. goal other than and just- I, I looked it up they don't do it anymore it looks like these are retired but I don't know. I think it was like, it was one of those things like they were like, hey, let's just do it, you know? Yeah, for sure. So I found the beer. Oh, you did? Yes. I remember now. It's a Drecker. So Drecker is from North Dakota. Of course Dakota. it is. <laughs> Drecker always puts crazy stuff in their beer. They are a great brewery. <laughs> okay. <laughs> they do. Actually, they're pretty funny because they have like, I really do like their IPAs. Uh, I like some of their, I don't know if I've ever had a anything like dark from them but their ips are very good but they've like moved more i don't know super recently but they've they definitely are doing a lot of the smoothie sour stuff they have their brains series like Mm -hmm. zombie and then they also have this pert series p-r-r-r-t pert (laughs) i don't know how you say it or why or why it's called that that's a horrible rendition (laughs) But anyway, I have one. I actually have one in my fridge right now because they just started distributing to Texas. So oh, I, can cool. get, I can get Drecker beers super easily right now, which is really, really fun. Their four packs are like $25. <laughs> Brutal. <laughs> and of course, I buy them because they know how to gimmick my the money out of me. <laughs> they have your number. So anyway, I have like a berry one right now in my fridge that I need to drink. And I'll post that on Instagram probably this week when I drink it. But they released today a Blue Raz style sour with blueberry, raspberry, pineapple, blue raspberry, Jolly Rancher candies, and blue raz slushy mix. Oh, gosh. This is a crime. (laughs) Okay. Well, hold on. In their defense. In their defense. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> on the can where it lists all the stuff that's in the beer. Okay. The heading to that is gimmicks. Oh, I love that. They're so uh, self-aware. Yes. So they they know that they are putting gimmicks in their beer and they list it as such. So. Okay. So they get a huge pass from me. One of my favorite qualities is uh, in self-insight. Yes. <laughs> This episode is really highlighting the differences between us, though, Stephen. <laughs> yep. Whereas <laughs> you go, you go for the barrel aging. I go for the candies. <laughs> <laughs> 
One is sophisticated <laughs> is a five-year-old child. <laughs> I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't go that far. All right. Do you want to go on to the most... Jason I, is a sophisticated no, scotch drinker, no, no, no. the coffee drinker. I'm like, what's that chocolatey coffee called? <laughs> Mocha. <laughs> and what's that? What's that blue raspberry Jolly Rancher beer? <laughs> I must find this now. Yes. All right. We can move on to. I think this is the most controversial, and it's funny that is mentioned in this article from over ten years ago because it's like never been more popular. Collaborations. Yeah. I have a hard time with this one because they get me a little bit too with this one. I'm a sucker for a collaboration. You are a collab sucker. 100%. Because this is their marketing scheme. Look, this brewery that you love and this other brewery that you love, they are coming together for collaboration and make a beer. How could you not love the beer that they're going to (laughs) collaborate on because you love both the breweries? And I am 100% a sucker for that. Like, not even. Like, Other Half and Weldworks did a collaboration called Juicy Something. I don't know. It was like a collaboration between Other Half's flagship and Juicy Bits Weldworks flag. Like, how could you not want to drink that beer, like, immediately as soon as you see it? Did you try it? No. How could I get it? (laughs) It's like, so yeah, it's kind of, actually it kind of rides to gimmick. It's like uh, collaborations is sort of, can be a gimmick and then like limited availability can sometimes be a gimmick depending. But yeah, collabs, I yeah. don't know, for me, like I, I also am drawn into the idea of like two breweries that are like working together on something. But then I also think I would love to see like a comprehensive study of ratings or even if it was just my own personal experience. But I have a feeling collabs would rate lower with me on average because i think it suffers from like the too many cooks thing like yeah yeah these are two great breweries but it doesn't mean that if they work together on something that's going to necessarily be good like their their styles might clash it just doesn't it doesn't really guarantee that the beer is going to be good but it is really interesting because you like like to think of these two to, (laughs) to go back to our analogy that we keep falling on but like two jedi two jedi masters work together to like make a beer it's it Obviously, that's going to draw your attention, but I just don't know if it's going to be great every time. Yeah, Yeah. I lost a little bit of um, excitement about collaborations when uh, a couple weeks ago I drank the, it was a collaboration, I drank on on the podcast, it was the IPA between Great Notion, Rubens, and Fort George. Yeah, the triple collab. With like, like. Any brew, any beer from any three, any one of those three breweries, like I would never turn down. And so, like seeing an IPA collaboration between those three is like, oh yeah, of course I need to drink that beer. And then I drank it, I was like, okay, like it wasn't that good. And it was a, you know, an IPA with like Citra Galaxy and Simcoe hops. You know, <laughs> like, like what? All they did was they like got together and they just hung out and they probably drank beer and they came up with this recipe in one day yep. and they just and one of the whatever brewery was like hosting the collaboration brewed the beer. <laughs> they brewed it, yeah. With, with some uh, brewery employee that wasn't had uh, no input into the collaboration had to brew, <laughs> had to brew the beer. And then they bottled it and put all three names on it and sold the beer. So I have lost a little bit of my, <laughs> my 
immediate respect for these collaborations because I do think a lot of times it really is just them like hanging out and drinking beer. Like I I like the aspect of I like the collaborative aspect. Mm-hmm. I like cool. the fact that like even in this super hyper competitive beer world that these, you know, breweries get together. So I, I do like that aspect of it. I just think that it is like not as romantic as they might want you to believe. I really think it's just like they're hanging out and then they, you know, because a lot of these, especially a lot of these like brewmasters and, and founders of these breweries, like they're running in the same circles, you know, they go to the same sort of festivals and and beer conventions and stuff and so they kind of run into each other they make friends they say hey let's like brew a beer together so one of them comes out to that one of the other brewery whatever who's ever hosting them they drink a bunch of beer together and come up with a recipe and brew a beer that fits into their brew schedule you know i just i don't think it's like it's like again it's just not as romantic as well and it kind of flies in the face of like I think what makes something good is trial and error. So like a lot of times when you're dialing, you know, obviously I don't brew beer, but I've in other aspects of my life, it's like when you first try one thing, you suck at it and then slowly but surely you get better at it. So I, I imagine that's also the case in like, if you're going to make your flagship beer is the result of many trials and many errors. But a lot of these collabs, they're just like one-ofs. They're never going to repeat. So it's like, yeah, yeah, maybe it's good, maybe it's bad, who cares? Like, not that they really take that attitude towards it. I'm sure it's fun, and it is it is interesting that they do it. But, like, I just don't think it's going to make this world-class beer. Because, like, they're probably not going to make it again. And then they don't really have that opportunity to refine the recipe and really dial it into something that's, like, world-class. Yeah, they're not wasting a lot of time trying to perfect a recipe. They just No. So, yeah, maybe collabs are gimmicky. Yeah, it's actually, this is a really sad moment for me. <laughs> I just watched my I, soul die. Yeah, because yeah, I am realizing how silly it is to think that these collaborations are more than just one-off recipes that they came up with in one day while they were drinking beer. So It'd be different if, like, they did an annual collab and, like, they did every year. And then, it, like, that could, I could, that could definitely interest me, like, where they're coming yeah. it and it's becoming something better every year or whatever. All right, sorry. Didn't mean to crush your soul there, Stephen. No, it's okay. That's the point, I think. <laughs> you can still like candy beer, okay? Actually, I have a newfound respect of candy beer. If they're mm-hmm. if they're doing it to uh, if they're adding it as like a syrup, that that actually makes a lot of sense to me. So part of the fermentable sugars. Yes. Ooh, it's when you say it like that, it sounds even more official. Yeah, because it's not. That's not always the case. Right. If they're just especially, throwing it, in. especially with these like heavily fruited smoothie sours, where it's like. They like make a beer and then they just add a bunch of fruit at the end. Like, yeah, see, that seems gimmicky to me too, as well. Even though I know those are very popular, very popular. It's kind of funny how, like, I don't think, I don't know, like, what percentage of the beer world is like really, really nerdy beer snobs? Well, that's the other thing is you have to remember you're like the you're an absolute minority. I think. Yeah. I think you were. We have a pot. I mean, I'm apparently. Not. <laughs> well, that's true. That's true. But apparently, I'm not that much of in the minority because I do like those beers. That's true, I guess. But I more... do also recognize that they're pretty stupid. <laughs> it's okay. But to they have... taste good. It's okay to have a nuance. That's just the beer geek in you. See, you're more of a beer geek than you realize. Yeah. It's okay to enjoy. It's 
you guys can continue to like what you like. That's my that's my new because I'm very critical of things. Like I try to actually be pretty positive on the podcast, but I can be very critical of things. And then I try to follow it up with like, you're free to continue to like what you like. Like you can ignore my opinion. My opinion is stupid. It's just my own opinion. But um, yeah, so. I, I, I tend to feel better because I like those beers, but I also like West, you know, give me a bitter West Coast IPA, <laughs> you know, give me a barrel aged stout. Like I can appreciate all types of beer and even and some of the more advanced, you know, what we might call advanced styles of beer. But I also really like to just drink juice. <laughs> <laughs> hey, there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> so I 100% understand why these styles are popular yeah i mean i like i'm not gonna complain either I, i'm sure any heavily fruited sour you put in front of me i'm gonna enjoy but i don't know yeah i do consider it a little bit of a <laughs> guilty pleasure <laughs> but see that's just my own yeah. uh well, that's my own hang-up that's not uh yeah i mean um, i'm constantly projecting my own uh <laughs> <laughs> my own flaws on other people but. <laughs> It's what I'm really good at, actually. You, you and every other human on the planet there, buddy. <laughs> All right, so there's one more. Actually, there's two more on here. Three more, but one of them is not relevant. Actually, there's a lot on here. This article is really in-depth. But one I did want to touch on was canning, because it's kind of funny, because this article was written kind of like at the cusp of the transition from yeah. glass to cans. And the author kind of highlighted that, you know, it's better, it's quicker to put things in cans, it's less less expensive better preservation so it is interesting that at the time it seemed like this innovative thing but canning has clearly won out yeah clearly won out yeah i saw a beer on tabor the other day that uh was in a can and it even said in the description something about like don't let the can deceive you like this is a sellerable beer Right? Yes, like, this is a beer you want to put on the shelf and let age. And it, it is kind of almost counterintuitive when you think of, a, you know, we even talked about this. Like, can you sell her a beer in a can just on the shelf? And yeah, we did. Yes, you can. You know, like, but that stigma like is still there. Like, it's hard to reverse that of like, oh, it's in a can. Like, that's not a beer I would put on my shelf and age for three years. But it's perfectly acceptable and it, it will age just fine in that can, maybe even better. And no light struck, you know, that. Right. It's actually, I think it's probably superior because yeah. of that, that light aspect. So let us disabuse you of that notion. If you uh, <laughs> don't think canned beer is uh, a good thing to buy. Yeah. So I, I'm all, I'm all in on the cans. Yeah. And it's almost like, it's almost a non-issue now. I actually think like, they only really put things in glass. Now it's almost like a novelty slash gimmick to put things in a glass bottle because I think there yeah. is that connotation that, it, oh, this is fancier. So, like, if it's in the glass, it's got the wax dip, like, you know what I mean? Like, it's almost like it's in that gimmick category now almost. I agree. Well, what are the other ones? So the other ones are limited re- releases, which we touched on yeah. briefly. yeah. And that's nothing new. I mean, that's literally the world we live in now is not only are things limited release, but even things that aren't limited release like PlayStation 5. We just live in a universe where people are going to buy these things and relist them on eBay. So yeah. everything like is demand limited outs- release now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah like demand almost always uh, outweighs supply and people know that and can and cash in on that. Yeah. It's so easy now too to just buy things and then relist them yourself. 
online, which you couldn't really do, you know, 30 years ago. It wasn't possible. So, yeah. yeah, so that is annoying. I mean, obviously, some beers are limited release just by kind of like Pliny the Younger, just like it takes so long to brew. I don't think they even really make money making that beer. <laughs> Like, <laughs> I think they do, but like, it's just not something they're going to yeah. do t- year round because it's such a difficult brew process. And does that make sense? That is a reason for it to be limited. So it's not I'm Pliny sure. the Elder, right? Like, it's not the Pliny the Younger is an event. It's an event. Pliny yeah. the Elder is just a flagship beer. They right. Make they all make the Pliny time. the Elder all the time. It's Pliny the Younger is a special one. So I respect that. But I can see how like it can be a little bit gimmicky if they're you know making things in limited quantities intentionally but i give that one a pass kind of and then um black yeah. ipa was on this list which i don't know if black ipa has survived yeah i mean i guess just i don't know that it's any more or less popular than it ever has been i don't see them very often i feel like even red ipas have kind of vanished which is unfortunate because i really liked red ipa and then dry hopping was yeah. on this list which is a little bit of a personal shot at both of us <laughs> well there's always been a lot of controversy on like you know when something says double dry hops like are you dry hopping twice are you dry hopping with double the amount of hops what double the amount of what hops like okay that's a good point twice as many hops as yeah. you would not have done normally like what is you know like <laughs> triple hopped quadruple what one quadruple dry hop like okay like what does that even mean so none of these definitions are and none of these uh terms are clearly defined yeah they're not standardized or regulated you can literally say anything you want (laughs) (laughs) it's like 17 eggs dry hopped but i mean the the actual process of dry hopping is obviously legitimate and adds qualities to the beer but i do agree like there isn't really a standard for what you can consider double and triple and yeah. So I think that can be gimmicky. Yeah, but I think the the dry hopping, I mean, that process is here to stay forever. Yes, tried I mean, and true. Yeah. I don't think it's even uh I mean, it's just not debatable. Like that it's just people like it and it makes good beer. Yeah. Especially even I mean, I, I like the the idea of like this new school IPA where you have a maltier backbone, a more bitter IPA, but you also use dry hopping in those beers to uh, create like juicier tropical flavors as well. The West Coast East Coast fusion, yeah, that's the future. That is the future. Atomic Torpedo was supposed to be that, and I think actually they did a pretty good job of it. But you like the regular torpedo. I like regular torpedo better, but that might be a. That could be a phenomenon of like when I got into beer that those West Coast IPAs were super popular and hazy East Coast style wasn't really a thing yet. Like it probably was in the periphery, but it wasn't like mainstream. So yeah. I feel like maybe if I got into beer now, I would probably maybe prefer uh, hazy and East Coast IPAs. But yeah, I'm a child of the West Coast IPA, so yeah. that's always going to have a Can't. special place in my heart. Yeah. Can't take it out of you. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. Is there any other yeah. modern gimmicks, do you think? Uh, I think we probably got most of them. Yeah, just the sort of social media presence and making beers that are super, super trendy, like these smoothie sours. And yeah, I, I think collaborations are it's out of hand right now. They're like, at like peak. We're you peak like have collab. to do one. You like yeah. have to do one now. And they're even like less meaningful now. <laughs> because one of the first like really big collaborations was actually 
we talked last week about the um, about Allagash Brewing mm-hmm. and how those like five big guy like Vinny from Russian River, Sam from Dogfish Head, uh, the guy from Lost Abbey, the guy from Allagash, they all went on this like trip to Belgium together. Or oh ridiculous. right, they did a collaboration together. Those five guys, all five of them. Yeah, I can't remember what the beer is called, but anyway, that was like a huge collaboration. That was like in maybe 2007 or something, 2008. Okay. And that like that sounds like a very meaningful collaboration, only because I don't know, maybe I'm just biased towards those five people because <laughs> I think I think even now like an uh, other half Weldworks collaboration does seem like I would totally buy that beer. Like there's nothing. Even this uh, conversation that we've had now, where I've completely <laughs> lost faith in all collaborations, I still buy the World Works other half collaboration. There's still breweries that, like, in my mind, if they come together, I can't really, I can't imagine they would make a bad beer. Okay, fair enough. But I've seen, like, a lot of collaborations of, like, two breweries I have, like, never even heard of. I'm like, nah, I don't, like, that, that does not excite me at all. Because I do that, I'm like, oh, yeah, those, like, head brewers are probably friends. And they're just like, yeah, <laughs> yeah let's do something together. Let's do a collab. Yeah. yeah. Very cool. Well, I'm sure this is probably a topic we can return to. Um, sure. Many more gimmicks, I'm sure, to be tried in the future. So, all right, cool. Well, I think we can call that an episode. We are available if you want to contact us. Primarily on Instagram at attenuation.podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. Oh, and yes. leave us a review. Yes, leave us a review. A really good review. Five stars, please. Yeah. We'll, we'll settle for four now. We half. don't accept anything less than five. We'll delete it right off there. <laughs> <laughs> and our email is contact.attenuation at gmail.com. So, yeah, this has been episode 63 of Attenuation, a beer podcast. My name is Jason, and I'm joined by my best friend since eighth grade, Stephen. That's me. And we are saying cheers, and we'll see you next week for episode 64. All right. Cheers, buddy. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Attenuation, a beer podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. And follow us on Instagram or Facebook for more fun content. Catch you next week. Cheers.